This is such a, a wonderful day in our church calendar. Christians all around the world gather together and see this day as a special day, a day of great joy and great celebration. But I have a question for you this morning, a question that, that maybe you have heard posed to you before. I don't know how many of you have ever uh, gone away from, from this local area where we live here. Maybe you've gone off to, to college, and maybe at college you've had someone who doesn't share your values, didn't have the same background or upbringing that you had, and maybe you've heard a question like this when you have said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior Someone might say, do you really believe that a man who died on a Friday was raised from the dead three days later on a Sunday? I mean, that's just, that's just a myth, isn't it? That's the type of thing that does not happen. If you're, if you're a smart person, if you're an intellectual person, you can't believe in something like that. I mean, that's the belief of ancient people who didn't know any better. Modern people, we are told, don't believe in things like that. We're much smarter than that. If you've ever been questioned about that. If you ever heard those assertions be made, you're not alone. For generations, people have struggled to believe the message that we have gathered here to celebrate today. And they've derided people who hold to this belief. Over the last 100 years or so, it's gotten, I think, even worse. As secularism has risen and scientism has risen and something impossible like someone from the dead coming back to life is, is now not seen as something supernatural, seen as something just completely impossible. Something as radical as what we have gathered together in this church to celebrate today around Jesus Christ is something we're told sophisticated people should abandon and reject as a relic of the past. But this morning, we have come into this room and clearly, directly, joyfully proclaimed and celebrated the news that we believe Jesus Christ is alive. This is not something that we have abandoned. We instead hold this to be at the very foundation, the very heart of our faith. It's a means by which those of us who regularly call this place home, who are members of, of this church, we have committed ourselves to believing because it has produced in us true life and joy and hope for the future. We don't think this is something that needs to be tossed out as something ancient and, and ready to be removed. No, we hold that this is at the very core of our identity as the people of God. So this morning, what I want to, to tell you is we're not just traditionalists. We're not just simpletons who are holding to a belief that we should grow up and, and move on from. No, the reason that we insist on celebrating and believing in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is because of what we are told the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus rising from the dead truly is and how central and crucial this is to the Christian faith. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'll invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to begin this morning. If you want to use one of those pew Bibles in the, in the pew right there in front of you, turn to page 1,142. Get you right there if you'd like. If you don't own a Bible today, let me tell you, I would love nothing more than to give you one. If you want to take that one from the pew right in front of you, that's our gift to you today. If you want a different one, come see me afterwards. I'll give you a Bible. I would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God and would do everything I could to, to get that to you today. Day. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want us to read what Paul writes and how he talks about this doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Starting in, in verse 12, he says, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we have testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that people are not raised from the dead. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep, who have died in Christ, have perished. But if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we of all people are most to be pitied. I want us to notice four things that Paul tells us this morning about why we must hold to this doctrine of the resurrection, not as a relic of the past, but as something crucial and vital to our Christianity today. The first thing that Paul says is this, if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then preaching is futile. What he means is this, if if Christ is not resurrected, then unfortunately, my friends, you have made a very silly choice to come together here this morning to this church. If Christ is not resurrected, then my whole life's work of studying the scriptures and preparing sermons like this and then standing here in this pulpit preaching as the word of God from the scriptures week after week after week, it is pointless. If Christ is not resurrected, then there's no good news to be proclaimed. And you coming week by week to hear someone like me preach from the word of God is just a waste of time for everyone. We all could be doing something else. And then Paul goes even further. If the resurrection of Christ is not true, then then you know what? Your faith entirely is in vain. If Christ is not resurrected, then us trusting in him and what he said he was accomplishing in his death and what he promised that he would do for us in in the future is assurances that he will save those who follow him and trust him in this life. That's all foolishness if the resurrection is not true. If Christ is not resurrected, then nothing he said should be relied upon because Jesus repeatedly and clearly said multiple times he was going to die and he was going to be resurrected. He claimed that the apparent defeat of Friday as he hung on a cross, bloody, broken, bruised, he said that apparent defeat was not really defeat, it was a victory yet to come. But if Christ is not risen, then his death was not what he said it would be. His words are not true, and we should not live our lives having faith, trust, belief in him. Because if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then Paul says we are still in our sins. If Christ is not resurrected, then his death on that cross was not a work of atonement. It was not him dying as a substitute, dying in the place of his people, paying a debt that his people could never afford. It was simply the death of another person doing what all of us eventually do, ending his life. If the resurrection of Christ is not true, then our sins have not been removed from us, and we will still have to answer for them. We're not forgiven. We're not adopted into God's family. We will not have eternal life. So if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then Paul says we, more than all of mankind, are to be pitied. If Christ is not resurrected, then this life of faith is complete foolishness. Us spending countless hours like so many of us do, coming together, singing as we did this morning, praying to God, listening to preaching, trying to obey the word of God and apply his commands to our lives outside of this place, being people who, whose whole purpose of existence is to share with others what it is that we believe. If Jesus is not resurrected, then this life of faith is futile. And we're simply giving up life and the pleasures of this life for no real reason at all. And we, if that's true, should be pitied more than anyone else. Listen, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no victory. There is no hope. There is no meaning to a life of faith in this world. That's what Paul says clearly in these verses that we just read, right? But that's not where Paul ends his thought. 
Read in verse 20, but, he says, but, in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Listen, without the resurrection, today is just a kind of a cold, cloudy, dreary day that for some reason you chose to get all dressed up and look all fancy and come together with a bunch of other people. But since, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, today is not just a day to dress up. Today is a day of joy and celebration for something much bigger than us. Since, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, what I'm preaching to you this morning is not futility. It is actually a sacred act by which the living God is speaking to you through his word. Since, in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead, all who have faith in him today will receive the benefits of his death and will receive the new life that he has promised. Since, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the payment of sin through his sacrificial death on that cross on Friday was the accomplishment of victory and has resulted in the payment of all of the sins of all of God's people being dealt with fully. Since, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, we who believe in him should not be pitied. We who believe in him should be resolved to share with greater confidence the good news we ourselves have received. I want us to understand this morning, the reality of the resurrection proves Jesus is the victor and his promises are true. What, what the world, what his enemies saw as weakness and defeat when Jesus hung upon that cross on that Friday was an accomplishment really of a victory beyond their ability to grasp, just as Jesus said. We talked about this the other night on Friday. We gathered for a special service, a time of reflection upon the cross and what took place there. And I talked about how awful it was at the cross of Christ on that Friday. Jesus suffered greatly throughout the night leading up to that and then at his death. His disciples, his followers, the first people to understand who he was and, and that he was using to spread his message, they, they were weak and they slept instead of praying with him and they, they ran and abandoned him instead of remaining by his side. He was put through an illegitimate trial. His name was derided. He was lied about. He was insulted at every level possible. Jesus on that Friday was mocked and spit upon and beat nearly to the point of death by Roman soldiers. And then he was taken and he was hung upon a cross for six hours for everyone to hurl every insult imaginable as he was tortured, not only physically, but had the weight of all of the sins of all of God's people across all of time from every place around the world put upon him. Jesus was forsaken that day so his people could be accepted. Jesus was broken so that his people could be made whole. He took upon himself the wrath that his people deserve so that you and I who would trust in him would not have to pay for our sins but instead receive grace and forgiveness and love from God. The result of Jesus' death on that cross was defeat of the powers of the enemy. It was the full payment of the price of sin completely paid, the shame of every failure borne by Jesus so that we no longer have to feel that. All of the hidden things in our lives were taken and exposed there and dealt with by the blood of Jesus. The destruction of the power of death itself took place and the death of the Son of God on the cross. It was as this text that we opened this service with this morning declared he died on Friday, and as the disciples go to see the tomb and to see the body, because that's, that's what you expect when you go to a grave where a dead body's laid, you think it's going to be there, right? 
And they go, and instead the angel says to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He has risen, as he said. Listen, friends, the joy of Christianity is directly tied to the fact that the one we are following, the one we are trusting everything in, is risen. He's alive. He's living right now. What the women heard that Sunday morning when they went to the tomb was, go and look, it's empty. What the angel declared to them was what had already taken place. He's showing up as the herald of an already victorious, conquering king. Jesus is not going to be resurrected one day, my friends. He already has. He's alive right now. So today what we're celebrating is not hope that that one day our Savior will rise, one day our Savior's promises will come true. We are celebrating the fact that he has already won the victory. We are rejoicing that he has already accomplished the work. He has already defeated the grave. He has already conquered death. He's alive. He's risen. He is reigning and ruling right now. So that gives us, because of what he has done, confidence to believe in what he has said he will do in the future, what will come. His resurrection demonstrates his victory over the power of the grave and it declares he has truly accomplished the work of salvation for his people. His final word on the cross was was one word in Greek, three words in English. In Greek, tetelestai. In English, it is finished. And he meant that. And he accomplished that. He finished the work. And because he died and because he rose again, he can give to us today life-changing gifts. One of those gifts is what the angel told those women that day. Do not be afraid. And you and I, we live in a world where there's a lot to be afraid of. It's natural for us to have fear. Some of us have fear of, of, of big things that could take place. We live in a day of, of conflict. Perhaps we'll see war. We'll see war on a scale that, that never has been on this earth before. We could fear that. Some of us fear smaller things. We fear our kids uh, getting hurt or, or getting lost, or we, we fear issues with our jobs. There's a lot in this world we can fear, but the angel says to the women, do not be afraid. And the apostle Peter, if you turn to page 1203 in your pew Bible, the apostle Peter in his first letter, chapter one, says, says this to us, why you and I should not be afraid. He says in 1 Peter chapter one, verses three to nine, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are being grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold though that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. For though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's what Peter is saying to us today. The reality of the resurrection gives us a living hope. 
The Christian hope that we are given, the hope that can overcome fear, that can make us not be afraid in this world, is not a wishful type of hope. That's, that's how we often use that word when we talk about hope, right? If we talk about hope with sports or politics or our jobs, right, we say we hope our team will win the game, but we don't know for sure if they will. We say, well, I, I hope that the, the governmental leaders will get their act together and do what is right and put good policies in place, but, but we really don't know if they will or not. We talk about hope for our jobs. Yeah, I mean, I hope I get a promotion or a, a raise this year, but, I, but really none of us are even sure that our jobs will continue to exist the way our society is changing so quickly today. I mean, when we talk about hope in those ways, what we're talking about is wishes. We're talking about things we desire, things we'd like to see come to pass, but really things we have no real reason to be confident will happen. But the hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not that kind of hope. It's not a wish, it's a living hope based on events that are already done, a death that was already accomplished, a resurrection that's already happened. It's a hope that's confident because the one we are trusting in has control over all things and has proven his power over all things by rising from the dead. He can't be stopped. Our living hope is not a wish, it's confidence in a living Savior. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives to believers a living hope that overcomes and conquers fear because the reality of the resurrection also gives us a sure salvation. Listen again to how Peter describes the salvation that the risen Christ will give to his people. In verses 4 and 5, he tells us it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen to those words once again. The statement of how sure and complete our salvation is, is that it's called imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven by God's power, not by ours, being guarded, ready to be revealed in the last time. The result of the resurrection of Christ, the result of him being alive, risen from the grave, having conquered sin and death, is that he can give you and I hope and assurance that goes beyond anything else this life can offer. Because you know that everything in this life fades, right? Nothing will last forever in this life. The money you have one day will be spent. The best foods that you can get eventually will go bad. The favorite clothes you have to wear, well, they eventually wear out. Our possessions break, no matter how careful we are with them. Our physical bodies, they're deteriorating. Our strength wanes, right? Our beauty dulls, our memories fade. But the salvation that Christ gives us through his resurrection is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's so much greater than anything else you could put your hope and trust in in this life. It's a great salvation, a sure salvation, a salvation that can produce confidence in you that can conquer all fear. Because if all of that is true, you have nothing, nothing to worry about in this life. What is coming is far better. And Peter also tells us the reality of the resurrection gives us strength then through trials and gives us endurance through hardship. Like practically, this is what it, what it should look like. If you have a Christian friend, a Christian neighbor, if you yourself are a Christian, then when you face trials, when you go through hardships, you should look different than those who don't have the hope of the resurrection, the sure salvation that Jesus gives to his people. 
He tells us there in verses 6 and 7, so in this, in the salvation you've given, in the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, rejoice, rejoice, even though right now for a little while you are being grieved by various trials. The, the genuineness of your faith is being tested. There is hardship that's coming for you. Look, I mean, we come together on a, on a Sunday like this. We've dressed up. We look so nice. Everything seems good. But if you come in here thinking, well, to have the joy of Easter, I have to pretend everything else is just fine. My friend, you've not understood what Peter's telling us. You can come into this place. You can come into this Easter season recognizing how hard life is. You can be honest about that. Maybe you've come in here today and it's been a really, really rough season for you. The gospel speaks to that. The gospel says that's okay. You can endure. You can go through hard times. You can go through trials. No matter how difficult, no matter how much pain there is in this life, the sureness of salvation that Jesus gives to his followers is not based on your ability to perform. It's based on what he's already done. So take heart. Look to Jesus. See the sufferings that he endured and conquered. And realize that if he has conquered things far greater than what you and I have conquered than what you and I will face, then we can trust him with whatever we go through in this life. Nothing in our lives can overcome the one who has overcome the grave. So that means we should understand then that the reality of the resurrection gives us joy beyond expression. The way Peter says it here in verse 8 is that it's joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What that doesn't mean is you have a kind of joy that you can just, you can never really find a way to express, right? This morning, we've come in here and expressed some of this joy. We've sang, we've lifted our voices, we have prayed, we've celebrated, right? There's some joy being expressed. What this means is it's a type of joy, though, for the one who has salvation from the risen Savior that will never be exhausted, will never be completely spent out, will never be fully expressed. The joy that we have is a joy that stretches beyond this life into eternity, The resurrection is such good news. The blessings of the resurrection are so incredible that we forever, with never-ending joy and praise, will worship the risen Savior. So the question that Paul asks is, why does believing in the resurrection matter? Why must Christians hold to and celebrate and defend that belief in every age, not just his day, but but ours 2,000 years later? Because without the resurrection, he tells us, preaching is futile, faith is in vain, you're still in your sins, and you should be pitied for your foolishness. But then Paul declared, but friends, the resurrection did happen. At the beginning of chapter 15 there, he tells us over 500 people saw the risen Christ. He appeared to his followers. He appeared to Paul himself. Jesus kept showing up after the resurrection. It wasn't something hidden away. He proved over and over again he was alive. His enemies went to check the tomb. There is no body there. There was nothing they could do to prove Jesus hadn't really risen. He had. He was alive. So we have to believe in the resurrection. We have to celebrate the resurrection. We have to come together like this with joy because of the resurrection. Because as Peter explains to us, the results of receiving salvation from the risen Savior are great. Jesus' resurrection gives us a living hope, a sure salvation, gives us strength for all this life and joy that could never exhaustively be expressed. Today, we gather to celebrate. The grave is empty. He's alive. 
And we who believe have a living hope greater than anything else you could ever face in this life, greater than your sins, greater than the mistakes that you came in here with. The Son of God died to give salvation to people entirely undeserving. That's us here today. Not a single one of us deserve this kind of salvation. Not a single one of us have earned these blessings in our lives. So if you came in here today really, really broken up, really, really beaten, really going through a hard time and, and a trial, and you're thinking, you know, I just, I don't know, this is kind of a, a last-ditch thing for me, that here today, the promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ can give you a salvation that is sure, that is complete, that is taken care of, that will cover your sins no matter how bad they are. Paul, that guy that we're started with writing, I mean, he's, he's the enemy of Christianity to begin with. He's a murderer. He's seeing Christians killed. He's trying everything he can do to eradicate the faith. Let me tell you, you're not worse than him. And he met the risen Christ and everything changed for him. That's the hope of Easter Sunday for you. You too can encounter the risen Christ. You too can come to experience a salvation so secure, so complete, that no matter how you came in, no matter how you come to him, you can find forgiveness, you can find peace, you can find assurance. That's what we want for each one of us today. It's a wonderful and incredible mystery how he has come and done this. And we're gonna celebrate that. We're gonna sing of that. I'm gonna ask Morgan and Tyler if they'll come this morning. They're gonna lead us in a final song. And, and what they're gonna do in this, in this time is give each one of us, no matter how we came in here, whether we've, we've come in with a relationship to Christ or, or we have not, today's an opportunity for you to respond to a risen Savior and to, to come to him in faith for the first time or to perhaps praise him in a deep and passionate way for the things that he has done for you already. The lyrics to this song will be on the, the screens behind you, so even if you, you don't know it, we sang this just on, on Friday a couple days ago. If you were here for that service, we're going to sing that song that we ended with as well, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And if, if you're not familiar with the song, you'll, you'll pick it up quickly. The melody's simple. The words will be on the screen. In just a moment, the kids are going to come back in here, and they're going to join us as we sing this final song. And, and after that, after we have praised the Lord and lifted our voices and had a chance to respond to him, however he's working in us to respond today, then, then I'll give some instructions about how we're going to dismiss from the service and, and go and find the eggs and get all the candy and have all that fun with the little kids. It's, it's great to watch, but, but I don't want to rush to that moment because... The joy of Easter eggs, the joy of hundreds of pieces of candy, they, those fade. They fade very quickly. Yesterday, my family did, did a little Easter egg hunt, and we took photos, and we had fun with the kids. But let me tell you, as much, as much joy as that brought to our hearts, you know, by, by this eve, that evening, it, it was kind of gone. <laughs> it goes by fast. Nothing else in this world will last. The only thing that truly matters, the only way to have joy eternal is to meet the risen Christ, to be loved by him, changed by him, saved by him. So that's what we're going to do is have this call to respond right now. And let me tell you, if you came into this place today and, and you're not a Christian, then 
you're not really maybe sure why people make such a big day about this day out of the whole year, why believing in the resurrection of Jesus really matters, then, then today I'm inviting you as having heard what the resurrection of Jesus brings, what it produces in the life of people who trust in him, I, I'm inviting you to respond to that today, to experience his awe-inspiring resurrection power in your life to have his forgiveness, his life-changing work, work in you today. If you're not a Christian and, and, and you're feeling something inside, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit of God working to draw you to himself. And, and let me tell you, if you don't know what to do with that, then, then here's what you do. Come and talk to me today. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to answer your questions. I'd love to explain to you more anything you don't understand about what it is that we're doing here, why we're so passionate about this, why this is what I do every week in this place. And for those of you who came in here as Christians, you came in here ready to celebrate, ready to worship, ready to, to praise the risen Savior, the, the one that you are already trusting in, then, then today I encourage you to passionately worship him in these moments, knowing that Jesus' resurrection have given you a living hope, a sure salvation, strength for all of this life and joy that could never exhaustively be expressed. I'm going to pray over us as you stand with us, and then we're going to sing together as we've beholded this wondrous mystery, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that today we come in here, we come into this place, Lord, as people to receive from a living Savior something far beyond what we can find anywhere else. Lord, I thank you that, that you have risen from the grave. The tomb is empty. Death is conquered. Sin is dealt with. And today there is a way for us to experience eternal joy. There's a way for us to be forgiven of every sin of our past. There's a way for all the dark things that we're ashamed of to be taken care of. And Lord, I pray that today every soul in this place would take advantage of this moment to respond to you, to experience your resurrection power the grace that comes through the cross and the empty tomb. Help us as we sing, as we respond this morning to who you are. Let's worship Jesus Christ together. <laughs>